place. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the best hour of their day, the best hour of your day. I am here with Denise Thomas, my best friend, my pseudo life mate, because we are trying to recover the last 19 minutes of her previous episode that we did uh, with they're, her before. So they're gone. They're never coming back. What 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 is a bummer about that is like I think we could agree like that was the best part of the whole thing and it's for some reason it's just gone into the abyss. Well, hopefully we can recapture it. I think so. I think so. Um, I think we'll so. So if you guys haven't listened to the previous episode, I've had her on. This is you're the the you're a third time guest. So I did one with you in Austin. I did one with you, and then this is number three. I'm like a a resident. Best hour of their day. I was more thinking like a fungus that we can't get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, the next thing I was going to say is you should put me on payroll, but that's probably not going to happen. Jay, you're no, funny. That might be the funniest thing you've ever said. Well, Good job. you Good do job. a lot of these interviews and you get better at it. You get better at it. <laughs> um, no, so, um, so what we did was we, we have some topics we're going to discuss, mostly probably revolving around coach development because that's, that's kind of Denise's thing. Last time we talked very much about lesson planning because that's also her thing. But we also did, uh, we pulled, you know, a lot of you guys for some questions. And so we're going to do a little bit of a Q&A here with Denise. But um, real quick, I did want to ask you, like, what was your favorite part of the Trainer Summit? Oh, you know, that's a good question. I, I honestly think... Always it's just to see everybody, that's a given. But I, I think I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed Nicole Carroll's speech on the simplicity of the CrossFit methodology and how there's no need to ever change it because it's super effective. And what will end up happening is 10, 12, 20 years down the line, somebody else, I think she said, will come along and do exactly what we've been doing for the last however many years. Mm -hmm. And we'll and we'll be like slapping ourselves in the face saying, we knew it was effective. Why didn't we just keep doing what we're doing? And I think it's sometimes very hard to to not just believe in the, the simple process of, of what we do and try to change it and make it sexy and better. But I thought that was really cool and needed, especially when we we're all out in the world doing our own, you know, doing our thing. And there's a common message. So I like that. And I really enjoyed, there's two other pieces too. I really enjoyed uh, Todd's talk on leadership and how it, he really made you look inside to answer the questions about leadership. And I had three things. I can't just have one thing. Just keep going. Just and keep the, talking. Yeah, I'm going to keep going. And the third thing was when Joe Alexander got up and pulled on some of our most senior level leaders flow masters um and he used quotes directly from them about what it means to understand the crossfit ethos be a, be on a team um and then providing examples from across the years of things that we've all been and gone through that a lot of, a lot of people don't hear about you know they see us in front of a seminar and, and giving the good word and teaching movements but a lot of the times there's delayed delayed flights and you know burst tires and you just you get to the hotel there's nowhere to eat and I think just talking about that stuff I think that's what makes us special you know yeah going through the stuff that people don't see and not really articulating it well but they, those were the three big things I think uh I told Nicole Carroll on 
at the at the party on whatever on Wednesday or whatever that was. I was slightly intoxicated, but I did <laughs> I did ex, I did express to her like I I really enjoy listening to her talk. Like she is mm-hmm. an incredibly captivating speaker. Like I mean, she does an incredible job of really grabbing your attention and emphasizing things that she really wants to use stick with, like to leave with. Um, and she's probably the master at throwing in colorful language to make it like really effective and not like, um, you know, vulgar. Um, mm-hmm. And I think she, I think she does that uh, really, really well. And I told her afterwards and um, I think she understood what I was saying. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. She she probably just looked at you, smiled, and nodded, and said, "Yeah, thank you, Jason." Yeah, you're fired. You know, no, you're fired. <laughs> you're pink slip. No, I agree. I think that Nicole has a very unique and special way of communicating to a large body of people, and she's just very elegant um, and articulate. And it's clear that she works really hard to find the right message every time we meet at these summits because that's got to be hard to do and. I think she nailed it this year with the, with her message of, you know, don't keep me up at night. Yeah. I thought that was it, really, it, I uh, thought it was very much in line uh, or very akin to Boz's uh, speech. Salt shaker. Years. Yeah. The salt shaker. Um, yeah. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about is this scenario where you put the salt shaker in the middle of the table and obviously that's the middle of the table and then people come along and they want to move it to the edge and say that this is the center and then your job is to keep it at the center of the table. Be like, no, no, no we're going to hold the line. Like this is the center. And then in Nicole's speech is basically the same thing, which is like just recognizing that and understanding that we don't need to redefine the center. Like the center is the center for a reason. And, mm-hmm. and that, is, that is the simplicity and the effectiveness of the training program. But um, no, that's cool. I like to get it. I've been trying to get everybody's thoughts on it. Yeah. I, and I actually have one more. Can I have a fourth? Listen, I mean, it's your show at this point. You can have as many as you'd like. Good, because we're not at the 19-minute mark yet. So yeah, yeah, this, this will all get cut off, there. don't worry. Um, I really enjoyed meeting all the new trainers, because I think they said we had 50 to 60 brand new. Is that they said over the last couple of years? Like, year yeah, so, I think, I think within summer. the past Yeah, I think within the past 24 months, it's, it's roughly that yeah. number, which, which puts it at about a quarter of the staff is new. Right. And I was, and I made it a point to try and get around every single person and just say hi and introduce myself because I remember my first summit and how overwhelming it was and intimidating. And, um, and when people came up to me and introduced themselves, it made me feel a lot more comfortable and involved and part of the family. So I did that and I met some really cool people. Actually, this one guy, Arthur from Poland, I uh, I came I went up to him like hey my name's Denise and he's like I know who you are that's how he said it you know that's how they say things in Poland I know who you are and I said oh he goes you did my level one in 2012 and I, and then you know it's that you when everyone says that you think like where did I meet this person and then he said Nuremberg Drake's gym beer and I was like oh I'm like let me think and I I had to think really hard but I do remember him. And he, but I don't remember this. He said, you gave me a hug and it changed my life. And I was like, <laughs> I was like wow, that's, a, that's amazing. And I go, I think, I think you've got to get out more if that changed your life. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I've, I've, we've hugged many occasions. I don't feel like my life was ever changed in one of those hugs. Come, come on um, now, Jay, come on. Well, I mean, listen. Yeah, I mean, no. 
No, I think he meant he meant like the the whole staff yeah. no. really had an impact on him. And he asked me, and he asked me, "How do I do this? How do I do what you do?" And I think it's one of the best questions somebody can ask you at a seminar because a lot of the times people think they can't do what we do, or you know they think that they're going to get pushed to the side. And I just gave him some instructions on what he needed to do. And seven years later, we're sat at a table at a CrossFit HQ trainer summit. It took him seven years and he never quit. And I just thought it was really, really cool that he got his dream. You know, he didn't, didn't give up. That was awesome. That's, um, but I, seven years. you know, I don't, I don't think his, I don't think that journey is unique, right? Like it's an incredible journey, mm -hmm. but I mean, if you pulled everybody on seminar staff, they probably have something that sounds very similar, you know? Um, yeah. They sought somebody out. They worked really hard. There were some bumps along the road. And then, you know, if at some point they attain that. And, and with, on that same note, you, in past years, you've been very much involved in the, the drills or the breakouts for that, right? So we're having this conversation about the staff and like, and how great it is people make it. But I've always found it to be like even overwhelming to think about the idea of coming up with drills that would challenge that group. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, so a lot of what I wanted to ask you is like, with regard to coach development, that's one of the questions we get on a very regular basis is how do I start to develop my coaches? Like, how do I start to work on them and improve them? Um, and obviously you want to give a lot of feedback, but some of that needs to be practice and drills and uh, that are contrived and, you know, setting things up so that you can run through and do dry and do dry runs on them. Um, how do, what's your process for coming up with some of those drills when you're working with coaches either at Reebok one or when you're preparing for the summit? Cause that's an overwhelming one. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll tackle the summit first. Cause that, that is a beast, but honestly, the answer is really simple. The last one we had, not the most recent one, the one before that I was running it with uh, Austin Maliolo and we just sat and thought, thought we were thinking about all these crazy drills and how we could make it fun and exciting. And ultimately we were like, well, what do they, what do they need and what do they want? And I always remember just wanting feedback on me running a, a realistic small group or a part of a small group and having somebody look over me and say, Hey, this is, this is okay. Do this better. So we use that as a drill. We use that to be pretty much the basis, honestly, is, you're just going to get feedback on your small groups. Uh, there were some other things like we always sometimes see people struggle to pace correctly through timelines, whether it be overall timeline or the microcosm timelines from one movement to the next. So we did a little lesson planning template. And the other two pieces were also big staples. One was active classroom, just how to run it, because it's a very stylistic way of running it but there are very directive things that have to be um, got taken through. So we just did a demonstration and then we, we, took, we broke up the groups and we worked on active classrooms. Um, and then the last one, which was a really cool one, was check back drills. Because a lot of the time, we'll see coaches give cues and then they'll walk away and they won't look back to see if it was effective. And, all, and what that does is it limits your correctional toolbox because you then are very limited. You have a couple of things that you use a lot and you walk away and you think they work. But if you actually stop and then turn around and take a look, 
it may work, but it may not. And if it doesn't, then you have to either say it again. Uh, maybe they didn't hear you or maybe they didn't see you. And if it doesn't work, then you've got to try something else. And maybe they have one or two other uh, cues that can help that athlete. But if they don't, that's where your toolbox ends. And that's when we get into the root causes of problems and why things are happening. And there's this whole other like, um, foundation to what it means to correct well. So this drill was really effective because people would give the cue and then just walk, at, walk by and not look back. And we'd be like, hey, take a look. And they'd look back and, and then they would see a fault. So it was, it was just very, a very cool drill that we used. And uh, we still talk about it now, I think, to this day. And, and this year it was the same thing. What do they need? What do they want? Where can we make the where, where can we have the most value to two hundred trainers that are all at different levels? Um, and I think one of the better drills this summit was the feedback waterfall that was. Yeah, that one by. was really really cool. Like I enjoyed that one. Yeah, because the other two were, were yeah, run a small group, get feedback. That was great, great one to start with, like ease people in. The last one was a great way to just help. Uh, deliver active classrooms again from like a periphery standpoint or a center correction but that feedback uh, water fountain checks so many boxes in such a limited time yeah. where the new trainers coached then the the level two trainers watched the new trainers coach and they gave feedback to the level one trainer yep the, the flow master was watching the level two instructor give feedback to the level one instructor and then the flow master would take the level two instructor off to the side and give them feedback on how they gave feedback it was just there was a lot of feedback and well, it was just, just beautiful yeah, yeah it was like it was impressive to see all of that happening at once like everybody is is kind of in the drill where usually it's like one mm. person is involved but at this point you get to you get to get everybody involved because even though the other trainers who are the who are the athletes in that scenario are not necessarily like engaged they're present for the feedback from the level two trainer to the level one trainer so like they're they're going to get to learn something from that feedback and I, I know and at least in our group you could see everybody in the group like as people are coaching as people are giving feedback people are like scooping up little pieces of of knowledge they're like oh that's a great way to say that i'm going to change it or like ooh i understand what you're saying that's a that's a good way mm -hmm. to phrase it or that's a or that's a unique drill um i think going back to the to the to the check back drill i think that one's important because i think if you're not if coaches are leaving out the check back or let's just call it like check back or affirmation like of that like you're leaving like 50% of your toolbox at home mm -hmm. or like you're just, you're literally going to work with half of the things you need for the day. And I think if people are putting, and that's what I always try to push people towards when they get stuck. They're like, they don't see anything. I don't see anything. I don't see anything. And I'm like, well, let's just switch this. I'm like, what's going well? And they're like, oh, well, that's really good. And I'm like, well, let's, let's address that then. Like give that person a little pat on the back for, you know, keeping their torso vertical on the push press or whatever it may be. And I think people forget to do that because we get so honed in on, the negative or like how to fix bad movement that we forget the other mm -hmm. half. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that the correctional but, world is, is a really tricky one. It's um, you just have to give a lot of corrections and one will stick against the wall. And there's obviously not a one size fits all, but if you do not check back, you never know if your correction was effective and it all comes down to the discipline again, having a system. Um, I mean, we could completely go into a different, uh, branch of this now with yeah. group management and 
you know, you have 15 people and you, you have three progressions and how many cues should you give per athlete? And are you supposed to see everybody? And, you know, if you don't, who do you prioritize? So there's, there's just always somewhere else to go in this game. Yeah. And, 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 but that's a big takeaway is that none of us are ever done. You know, like, I mean, there's some incredible trainers at the summit and everybody leaves there, you know, a little bit broken down thinking they're like, man, I got work to do, which is a good place to be, you know, kind of yeah. everybody always, everybody always leaves the, the summit a little bit hungry. Um, if, do you guys do similar things? Like, I, I know you guys do daily stuff like that, but do you guys do any like larger things like that at, at Reebok? Like I'm trying to think if like, if somebody was trying to replicate the something that would resemble the summit at their box, like how would they go about doing that? Yeah, honestly, Jay, we don't do as much development anymore. And it's not because we're, we don't need it. We all need it. And if we do it, it's always on a, a one-on-one in, uh, basis or a one-on-two or whenever anybody's not busy. Cause our gyms are unique in the sense that we, we have the second floor that has Les Mills and spin and yoga and boxing and an open gym and all the machines and downstairs we have the crossfit space and all of us work upstairs and downstairs so we're not just running crossfit classes so it's very hard to get all seven full-time trainers in one space at one time because there's things to be done outside Mm -hmm. of just crossfit so we had to change our model but i can tell you what we used to do uh before we had additional responsibilities and it was once a week we tried and then I think we moved once every two weeks we would just get the staff together and we would uh, Austin and I would pick drills and we took a lot of the drills from the level two um the seeing drills the correction drills we did teaching drills where you would have you know 60 seconds to teach a movement um we did public speaking drills not just in fitness but we would give them a topic and they had to prepare a five-minute speech. We give them a template of intro body clothes, and they had to prepare um, just a little how-to brush your teeth, or um, it could be a topic on like religion, and you got to pick whatever it was. Um, and all we were looking at is, are you able to prepare a speech and, and format it correctly? Because that's what we do when we present, right? We, mm-hmm. especially in front of the whiteboard. So we do things like that. We did. We also did personal um drills like um we we'd sit together and we'd pair off and we'd talk to each other about our biggest fears and our biggest uh, strengths and um and just have discussion between that you and that other person and then if i was with you we would come back into the big group and you would explain to the group what some of my fears are and and that's scary to be vulnerable but if you want to be in a highly functioning team you have to have a level of vulnerability and, and it helps you drop your ego and then you can build. So they were some of the harder drills that we would do that, you know, we're exposing ourselves. We did everything, everything you can imagine. We did, we all, we'd do gymnastic teaching, we teach forward rolls, backward rolls, levers, things that we don't typically see in a CrossFit class. You know, it's not like the meats and potatoes, but, and it was just a way of us learning how to teach other things outside yeah. of, pull-ups and muscle-ups and yeah so much we, we did so much yeah we also don't do it as much as we used to um for a lot of different reasons but I'm, that's something it's like I've, i'm really trying to wrap my brain around how i do it but one of the other things we used to do is we we we've done like some of the improv games too where it's just like public speaking base and it's just kind of getting people out of their shell we've done 
the same type of presentation, but the one of the coaches would have to present on a like they would have to teach the group a movement, and then they would get feedback from the group on how that went. We've done all the seeing and correcting drills, but I think um, for for new coaches or people who are trying to do development, one of the things to remember is that kind of going back to where we were talking about with Nicole is like simplicity is sometimes best. Like most people don't need a crazy. Um, complex drill like for most people the level two drills of the seeing and and correcting are going to be more than enough for a long time mm-hmm. oh yeah I, it's i think they are good enough for everybody because you can tweak the drill to the level of the person in front of you from very static so, uh, gross errors on one person to a group of 10 looking at dynamic subtle faults like tiny deviations and um asking who's who are the three best movers who are who needs more help so on and so forth but that that word simplicity is so underestimated it, it the level one manual and this was something we talked about at the summit too was there is everything in that level one guide that the participants get at the level one there's everything in there that can make them the best trainers in the world mm-hmm. but it has to be mastered and that's all the red shirts do every weekend the, the, the HQ staff, they go and they coach the nine foundational movements, the squat, front squat, overhead squat, press push, press push jerk, deadlift sumo, deadlift med ball clean. And they do it every weekend and they can master the, the ability to teach, see and correct to a small group of people, like 10 people. Mm-hmm. And then they take, they take that, they take those themes and that ability to identify gross and subtle faults in static and dynamic positions across a bunch of people and they apply it to muscle ups, snatches, running, rowing, because they're all themes, right? We talk about mm-hmm. that at the level two. Then the name of the exercise in itself is less important than the positions that you're looking for. So that's all they do. So there's everything in there. And and the, the sad part about it is, and I started to add this into my closing remarks at the level ones is don't let this day be the last day that you open up this level one trainer guide. This should be something that you read often, you memorize, you practice in real time, not just memorizing it to regurgitate it, but you actually do it. And I, I, I promise, I almost can guarantee that you would be amongst some of the best CrossFit trainers in the world. But the sad part is, is that book gets closed and they, you know, and not to no fault of their own, although they do have a say, some trainers just get rushed into a class the day they pass their level one course and they're, they don't have sometimes support because, you know, the business model's tough, right? They, you can't put two coaches on every class and they don't always get time to go through that journey, especially when they're part-time, you yeah. know, they have other jobs and things. So I just think if they just give a little bit more attention to that level one guide, it would be very helpful because it's all in there, what you need. Points, performance, faults, fixes, you know. No, I I agree with you. And it's funny, Cassidy and I were just talking earlier and I forgot why it came up. I was I was just doing a video for the for the gym. And when I came back in, I was talking to him. I said, I remember when I used to freak out about saying the phrase about intensity because I wasn't like I didn't (laughs) feel but now I I could like if you caught me in the middle of the grocery store, I could roll that off my tongue. Like I mean, but Mm -hmm. that take that's taking me like hundreds and hundreds of reps of saying that just like the progressions for the push jerk 
and all that stuff. And I, I get that people are in a tough situation, but that doesn't change your ability to, to prepare beforehand, right? Like mm -hmm. you might not be in an ideal scenario where there's multiple coaches. You might have to go to your level one or go to your level one and then teach on Monday, but you can still prepare. Like you mm -hmm. can still study beforehand. Like you can still do some of the legwork and it doesn't have to be a ton. It's, it's the little pieces over time. I think that like what makes a great trainer, it's not like you studied for three hours and then you were good. It's the, it's the long-term dedication to the simplicity and to the details that allows you to garner that knowledge and then be able to distribute that knowledge over time. And I think that's what people are missing is you don't need to leave, read the level one trainer guide every day, but you should read a page a day. And if you're doing that over and over and over, you'll be one of those people that can just recite the level one training guide, which makes you far more prepared to step in front of athletes and coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think a friend of mine once said, fake it till you make it. You definitely need to memorize that stuff, at least in the beginning. But I, I agree with the preparation piece. It's, there's no excuses to not prepare. It could be five minutes. It could be 55 minutes. But just pick one element of the class that you really want to focus on and, and do that the best you possibly can. And be okay with maybe not going through everything else. Right? It's not always realistic to do that. But, man, that level one guide is money. It's amazing. Yeah, there is. And the level just... two. Both of them. Yeah, there are just an incredible amount of information in there and, and you should learn other things. But if, you, if you're doing just that, you're going to be a damn good CrossFit coach. I mean, damn oh, good. It's insane. We have a guy at our gym right now. He's, um, he was an intern and he just got more of a part-time job and he wants to be on seminar staff. And, and here's the other thing. He asks me every single day to help him. Every day. Some days I'm, I can't always help, but He'll come back the next day and he'll ask. And we do a lot of work together. And he'll be like, can you watch me, can you watch me coach the pressers for 10 minutes? Can we go to the board? Can you break down the timeline again? When do I do squat therapy? Uh, what happens if this happens? And I just, I love it. I love his relentlessness. And we, there's, I always, we always say this. I'm sure you've said it. I've said it. I know a bunch of other people on staff have said, if you want to do this job and you're in the area, email us come see us we'll help you like come i've had maybe two people my whole in 10 years of working for crossfit actually take me up on it and um it's awesome like it's I've awesome. only had you one ask yeah exactly one i mean i know when i was trying to get better we we definitely did not have the resources we have right now on the internet or you know with a gym on every corner and i had to I had to go above and beyond to just get somebody to help me that wore a red shirt and they were super willing to help me. Jen Hunter, Rob Miller, yep. uh, Amy, um, you know, I just, and we had, they have people, people have it now at their fingertips. Yep. Um, but I just, I love that. I love when people want, want to get better and they, and they take you up on it. And people do want to get better. And because, people aren't showing up to our gyms. The next best thing we could do is Q and a. So yes. I've got, some, I've got some, points. I've got some, you like that? That was a really like nice that. segue. That, that was, was good. Cause we could talk good. for a while. Um, so uh, we got a couple of questions here lined up, but I actually do want to start with the first one that you and I were discussing beforehand where, which was the email about why do we discourage capping workouts from a coaching mm -hmm. standpoint? So elaborate on that. I, I, I summarized a, a very long question, but if you want to read it and then I don't know if you have it available to you, but 
Um, I don't have it gist, on, on me. That was the gist of the question is like, why do you guys discourage t capping workouts? Yeah. And I think it might, yeah, if that's what it said, I, there's a difference between a time cap and, and a time that you should shoot for. And it all comes down to um, the, the whiteboard brief, the introduction and how you, how you articulate this, because when you brief a workout, you tell the athletes, this workout is Fran. The intended stimulus can be anywhere between two minutes and 10 minutes. We don't really want you to go any longer than 10. Okay? And we're going to make sure that we get you to the right loading with the right rep scheme and the right movements in order to be under that 10 minute time. But that doesn't mean we stop it at 10 minutes. If we do, if we do go over 10 minutes, it's very possible that it's a super special scenario and it's that last person going and everyone's cheering and it's going to change that person's life. Or we as coaches, if it's maybe five people in a 12 person class that are all going way over that 10 minute time, we as coaches probably didn't do our job as well as we should have when it came to scaling. Now what happens, and that's hard, that's hard to do to scale a large amount of people to the right weight. So a time cap, is different to giving them the intended stimulus. A time cap is when we do have a hard stop at 10 minutes. Time caps are great uh, for competition. That's, I think that's why we can't just have people keep going for hours and hours, so we time cap it. Time caps are great when we're doing maybe something like um, uh, even a hero workout. We can be, all right, you're gonna get through as much of this as you can in 45 minutes in a class setting right not in a you're just doing it by yourself in a class setting um time caps also just save the coach's ass when they don't have the ability to scale people correctly and the reason why it's not a problem to time cap it becomes a problem when there's a five round workout and athletes are only getting through three rounds of it in in the in the intended time because what we're then doing is changing this task priority workout where we're trying to finish a workout for time, which gives you less incentive to pace because you want to push and finish and you, don't, you know, people don't want to be last. It turns this four time workout into a AMRAP where they're just going to try and get through as much of this as they can in let's say 10 minutes. And if we do that all the time, we we're losing that ability to vary the goal, right? So when you say time cap, that means that we're gonna stop the workout. When you say, I'd like you guys to be within this time range, but when it's not gonna stop, that tells them that that's what they should be shooting for, but they're not gonna get saved by the clock. So yeah. it's not that, that you should or you should not, it's more of a, why are you doing it? Um, is there a better way? And are you doing it all the time? No. Yeah, I, I think I, it's I, no. I agree with you. There are there are definitely like a time and a place for it. I, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are, but my experience is that it's not that frequent. Like it's 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 in it's in special circumstances. More often than not, we see it used when coaches just are not going through proper scaling, haven't expressed what the stimulus is, and what we're really doing is like we're just giving people the, an excuse to to like forego the intent of the workout be like listen you're just going to move and you're going to do this completely missing the mark and ultimately intensity 
almost inevitably always goes down in scenarios like that where they're not maintaining the intensity we want and thereby losing some of the results or not getting the results at the rate that we would like them. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think most, yeah. most people use it as a crutch, not, not as like a tool to help them run a more efficient class. It's just be like, all right, guys, we're just going to start. And then at 25 minutes, I'll cut you off. And then, you know, all these people are executing the workout incorrectly. And it's just like an excuse for you to not run over time instead of just being better at your craft. Right. And, it, and it's executing the work incorrectly. I mean, you'll get fit doing, doing CrossFit, whether you do it right or you do it wrong, right? You, you do get fitter. Um, I think, but we're just, we're the effective people. We want effectiveness and we want them to get the right bite and not miss the mark. That's when people don't get the results as quickly as they should because they're doing CrossFit at maybe a moderate intensity because they went too heavy on the bar. So now they're dropping it a lot. And that's why they're only getting three rounds when they should be getting five. And I think it's, it's more, it, it can be done better. Yeah. So, you know, and, and we say, we, I think we often on these podcasts, we often say we see, we see a lot of on most people. And um, I really hope the listeners are sitting there saying, well, we don't do that, you know, and, oh, that's not our gym. We, we don't believe in that. And we do this and we do what, you know, X, Y, Z, because that's great. I hope people are like, no, we don't do that. Not, oh man, we do that. Yeah, we're, we're part well, of that. Because of the best hour of their day podcast, the tides are changing. I'll tell you that. Mm. We're having a global impact. <laughs> You're just um, taking over. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to take over the world. Okay, second question. Um, when coaching a class of advanced athletes, and this is something you and I discussed, I think, when I was there previously, how much do you deviate from the lesson plan to drill down the cues at the micro level? So, you have a group of pipe hitters, essentially. Do you change your lesson plan based on the people in front of you? And then to what degree am I going to nitpick these athletes? Okay, so the, there's a lot in that question. I think, first of all, what, what, what is an advanced athlete? Like we, I think we have to define that before yep. we, we, we see how much attention they get. And I think for the purposes of this talk, an advanced athlete is he or she that can do all CrossFit workouts that come out on CrossFit.com in the intended time range, right? So they, they don't, they, there's nothing that comes up that they cannot do. And there's, there's not many of those in each affiliate. I could I say in our that. affiliate, yeah, well, Jay, you're not, you know, that's. I'm not fit. That's not a good test. It's not a good test. I think in our gym, we have made like 500 members. And I think that we, probably in any one class might get one or two maybe right that they can i can say that oh yeah this person could do it all um so the the intermediate athlete would be he or she that could do a lot of the workouts as prescribed but if it gets a little heavy they have to deload or if um, it's high skill gymnastics they might have to put the reps down Mm -hmm. And that's them. That's a lot of people in your gym, right? Especially those that have been coming for years and years. Um, and then you have your beginners, right? Who are, they're going to have lighter loads. They're going to be focusing mostly on movement patterns and points. And so it's important to know when you ask the question, what do we give advanced athletes and do we change the plan that we understand what an advanced athlete is. And I would say that most athletes in any one gym fall under the um, intermediate category, 
Yeah, I would but agree. Let's just say we have that advanced those advanced athletes in class, and I don't change my lesson plan for any individual in the class. In my lesson plan, I make considerations for if those athletes show up. So I will pick progressions and practice sessions and loading periods um, in order to to satisfy a mixed ability class. I'll call reps, I'll hold positions. Uh, everyone will do that together, no matter if you're a beginner, all the way up to advanced. And then when, I, when we get into the loading period, or if I give them a couple of minutes to practice a movement, I'll go around and I will give the advanced athlete some strategies on, um, on technique or time ranges that I'm looking for them to get off certain movements and, and set them little individual goals. And I'll do the same for the beginner. I'll do the same for the intermediate, which is why when you're writing your lesson plan, sometimes it's better to give them a time period to practice versus giving them a certain rep scheme. Because if you give them a rep scheme, you're going to get them, they'll have done five reps and then they look and stare at you, mm -hmm. right? Versus saying, hey, go away and practice for a minute. Try to accumulate about 10 to 15 reps. You don't have to be done consecutive, whatever the movement is. And I'm going to come around and, and help you out. So, no, I don't, I don't tweak my plan, but I do make sure that I'm ready for those athletes coming in. Um, and that, that comes to another point, right? You should know generally what the majority level experience level of that class is mm -hmm. so at Reebok CrossFit one we know that our um, 745 is a, is a biggish class of 10 15 people we have a mixed ability group from advanced through to beginner um, I know that so I already know what kind of plan I'm going to have but then the noon class the majority level in there is is intermediate into advanced so I'm going to provide a plan that's going to meet the level of the majority but i'm also going to get ready for alex who is a bodyguard bodyguard down at the casino and he's pretty new but he loves that class so i gotta make sure i position myself in a in a way that alex doesn't get lost yeah then in the you know the four o'clock class is a big class and they're all into like middle intermediate to beginner so I have to provide upon that. So you just should have some idea of what that majority level is. But as long as you're prepared in your plan for any individual coming into your class, any population, you'll be able to knock it out of the park versus having to deal with it in the moment. Yeah, I think I think that just to summarize that is like it shouldn't matter who's in your class. Like mm -hmm. you should be coaching the crap out of everybody. You know, like nobody is that good where they like don't need any coaching. Although Matt yeah. Frazier's pretty good. I watched him work out this past weekend. Like he doesn't need a ton of coaching. Like he's just fit. Right. He so. need, but Matt, what Matt needs is um, someone to look at him working out and see if they can see any holes and any weaknesses. Mm -hmm. It could just be even time in his rest periods. Yeah. You know, this is probably not, athletes like that is largely like strategy. Like what, like yeah. what's the fastest means of getting you through this? How are we going to break these up? Like, are we going to break them when we don't necessarily need to, but it's going to help us get through the full set faster. Like that's what you can help those, those 
more advanced athletes, if we want to call them that, like what should their sets of muscle ups look like? Like how many pull ups should they do in a set of 50 mm-hmm. in, in a workout, you know, like unbroken. So stuff like that. That's where I think, um, you know, like if, if they're, if they're really good movers, then switch your mindset strategy. And I think you can give a lot of value there with some of that, or maybe give them a stretch goal. You know, say mm-hmm. like, like you were saying, be like, Hey, I want you guys to play around with, uh, whatever this is, let's call it the, the, uh, a power clean for the next five to six minutes. But I want you guys to practice cycling and getting your knees out of the way when you put the bar back down on the floor, stuff like that, where you can really kind of help them break through to that next level of whatever it is that they're chasing after. Right. And it's, it, and any athlete, if they ask for strategy, I'll, will help them. I don't think you have to be the advanced or high level intermediate athlete to have that special treatment. We'll, we'll give love to everybody, but you just have to triage as to what that athlete needs in that moment. So yeah. And, and Matt Frazier's elite too. That is, you know, yeah, he's way past advanced. He's the yeah, best. He's way beyond. And he's in, he's in the sport. He's in the specialization world of CrossFit. So He's submitted his score. Yeah. So I judged him when we were at Mayhem and he did the workout in six minutes and eight seconds. Which one? Uh, This one? 20.3. Yeah. Or, yeah. Is that right? No, no, no. Last week's. Last week's. What was his his time? 6.08. Austin B. Oh, man. He got me by a second. One second. You didn't do that shit in 6.07. Nice try, though. (laughs) I'll tell you what mine did go like. Two minutes of 21 handstand push-ups and then me hopping down from the wall and looking around and going, why is it harder for me than it is for everybody else? Okay. I'm like, I was so sad. Oh, that's standard. It's, um, yeah, that, that guy's freakishly fit. What's weird though yeah. is when I was watching him work out and I was like, I feel like that's what I'm doing when I work out, but it's definitely not mm. what I'm doing when I work out. Yeah, I saw Austin do it in, um, he did Sub like six, six so. He did six twelve, and then he redid it. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't pick three better movements for him. It's like, yeah, yeah. But anyway, we uh, digress. All right, next question: uh, How do we properly emphasize the notion of proper rest and recovery to new or perhaps injured athletes, especially in spite of scaling the injured athletes continuously who refuse to see a medical professional or physical therapist? That's a long question. It is. Is the is the is the question? How do we help people that don't want to rest when they're injured? I think that would be a very good way of, of summarizing that. How do we express the value of rest to people um, who are injured to say, you know, there's a balance of like continuing to train, but doing it like obviously more intelligently at that point. Uh, Cause because when you're injured, the, the goal changes, right? So the goal is just to continue to move to some degree uh, and I think that's what they're asking. How do you emphasize um, to an injured athlete the value of rest and recovery, um, even though you're already scaling this athlete? Mm. I think when somebody there's well, there's again there's a difference between injury and like being hurt or being sore. Um, if it's soreness, it's just a matter of scaling, you know, scaling back. But if it's an injury, like they have physical pain when they lift a barbell or if they do a, a movement, you as the coach, you you don't manage that. You tell them stop. Mm-hmm. Like that, there's no, there's really no ne- negotiations on that because we're not in the business of allowing people to work through situations that will 
further harm them. And the way that that athlete responds is probably going to come from a place of frustration and upset and kind of they're annoyed, but that doesn't mean that we allow them to continue doing it. And, and, and that's really what that is. It's like, no, please stop. I understand your frustration, but this is what we're going to do. And then you find something super creative for them to do. Um, if you have an athlete that's constantly working out and they don't understand the value of rest and recovery, is that part of the question too? Uh, I think people get that. Those are like your typical headaches in the gym. This one was specific to injuries. And, and I think you nailed it on the head. But something uh, like you could probably elaborate on is I, where I feel that I've missed the mark in the past and people can miss the mark here is when somebody's injured, they will many times dial up something that like the athlete still wants to train, obviously, otherwise we wouldn't get this question. But they probably feel like they're not doing anything. So mm. we failed. We fail to challenge mm -hmm. them while while circumventing the injury to still train. So we failed right. to be kind of creative as possible to be like, listen, this is still going to be really hard. We're just not going to use your right arm today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I think it comes down to the trainer again and how they're able to create something that keeps them engaged. They get a good workout in. Um, but if we give them a scaling option that doesn't challenge them and they do get bored, they're going to get frustrated and want to use the, the, the injured limb or, or, or something like that. So I think, again, that comes down to asking questions, researching, uh, and then talking to the athlete and just saying, does it hurt when you do this? Does it hurt when you do this? What about this? What about that? And you can come just completely change the workout. If, if they can't pull or squat because their lower back is injured, give them something, get, put them on the bike, turn it into something that's more of a, a metabolic conditioning workout. That's okay. Even if the goal that day is to lift heavy and they cannot lift heavy, they can't bench, they can't press, put them on a bike, change the workout, keep them involved. Um, and just let them know, like, don't worry when you come back because we're still moving because you're still showing up and you're, you're keeping your brain fresh. Um, you're going to be in a much better place than if you just, um, stopped altogether or if you keep fighting through this injury and it happens we have we have athletes in our gym that we tell we tell them go hey go to the go see a doctor go see a doctor they come in they'll tell you yeah it's not so bad and then halfway through the workout you see them grabbing their shoulder and you just stop you just stop they're like oh one of those oh I'm like how's that shoulder going stop doing that grab this dumbbell instead of pull-ups you're gonna do yeah. um, you're gonna do single arm rows oh but 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 no non-negotiation you know and and if you're in the right environment in the right culture in your gym they know you you care about them there, there shouldn't be any um hard feelings or i've never had pushback on that in the years like mm. never they, like they want you to stop them like they they are like just waiting for you to come over there and do that particularly if they're in, yeah they're particularly <laughs> particularly mm. if they're in pain um, but I, I want to throw a challenge out there because I don't think this idea of challenging people in scaling is solely relegated to, uh, to injured athletes. I, I think we could all be better at scaling athletes and progressively finding better ways to challenge people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I will bring this up in the programming lectures, which is like your scaling options should be as varied if not more than your programming in general. Like if you do not have 
you know, a dozen scaling options for each movement, then that's now your homework to progressively scale people to get where they need to go. You know, it's like pull ups. Yeah. Like, you know, the typical scenario is the purple band person. You know, <laughs> why, why are we not doing ring rows? Why are we not doing inverted ring rows? Like what, like if we're going to do negatives, what's an appropriate volume for that? But like all of those can be incredibly difficult, but like we have to put some time and effort and energy into finding out is this going to challenge that person and is it going to keep them engaged with the class not feeling like they're left out like that's really that's a i think scaling is the most underrated skill in coaching oh it's so hard and and it comes down to knowledge of excuse me movement function because even though the movement might look different if we keep the function relatively similar to what they're doing um, you're gonna get you're gonna get some of those benefits, but I think it comes down to not understanding the protocol of uh, or process of elimination to get to that scaling option. Um, and it is hard, and I don't envy anyone in a gym uh, that are coaching a class of 15 to 20 people by themselves, having to go around and scale a bunch of people. It's really freaking hard, and uh, and that's I genuinely believe the best trainers in the world just manage that situation really well, and it's less yeah. about you know, the lesson plan is easy. It's easy to create a lesson plan if you really think about it. But being able to offer scaling options throughout each session element, like every progression, there should be a scaling option for the injured and for the people that cannot. It's You can't just assume that everybody can do, um, you know, a kip swing or a kip or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. The, the, the movement function, uh, range of motion questions are huge. It comes to scaling. Uh, next question: What and this one is a this one's a little bit deep. So, what is the best piece of advice you could give a new coach? Uh, maybe that you've come up with, uh, or what's the best piece you've been given by someone else as you've developed your coaching skill? I think the best piece of advice I could give to a new coach is is master the fundamentals and that's from coach Glassman. Right? He says it all the time, master the fundamentals. And over the years, I've just learned to respect that sentence. So like more and more and more and more because the fundamentals are within those, within those movements and those themes is everything you need to be on your, to be one of the best. So mastering the, what does mastery mean? And I don't know if we discussed this last time, but at least to me, mastery means that you can teach all those nine foundational movements to 10 people, let's call it, um, where you're able to see static and dynamic faults, both in gross and subtle positions, um, and if you, if you are seeing those faults, you have multiple corrections for each fault while being able to keep the rest of the group engaged and not just neglect them for, the, for the, the sake of consumption with one person and allowing that group to know that you care about them and you're inspiring them and you're motivating them. Now take that with just the basic air squat, right? Do, just doing that alone, true mastery of, of coaching 10 people through the air squat is really hard and it is to that distant horizon that we really never meet now take that skill set and put it into a class so you can see now how much harder that would be so I think for me just mastery of those fundamentals 
will give you a, a really solid foundation for being the best in everything else. I think that is probably a perfect summation of that. And I, so to challenge people, like if you really want to experience what that looks or feels like, like here's a challenge for you. Can you coach continuously the air squat for let's just call it 20 minutes while keeping everybody engaged like the air squat. You and I have seen it a million times where somebody, you know, they do a couple squats and they say, I think they're good. Um, yeah. And they're good. <laughs> let's, let's rewind that my friend, you know, like, and, and do you, do you feel like you could always go longer? And I think once you start, and I'm not saying I'm a master at this, but I think once you start to approach something that could potentially look like mastery, you never feel like you have enough time. Mm -mm. Because what, then, you know, you've mastered it, but they're moving at 50%, right? They're not moving at game speed. All right, speed them up. Now speed them up. Now can you see those subtle faults? Now are you able to give those quick corrections? Can you look across the, the room or the circle, whatever formation you have, and keep people engaged. It just keeps, there's just another place to go. It's like being an athlete in CrossFit. You, you master one thing, you want two of them, you want three of them, you want the next variation. It's, I just, I, mastery is, is really, really hard, especially when you understand what it means to master something. Um, yeah, and I, and I, the I better, agree with you. The better the athlete, the better the athlete, the harder it is. And I think, exactly. just, sorry, it's, you then get into the question of, well, what do I do with those people that don't listen in class? I'm like, well, why are they not listening? <laughs> right? Why are they not listening? And then sometimes it'll be like, well, they just, you know, they, I think they think they're above it. And I'm like, do they think they're above it? Like, maybe they do. But have we, what have we done to let them know that they that they do have more to do because if we're not giving them the attention which is also group management right attention to each athlete we have to look at ourselves when any one athlete in any class complains grumbles doesn't listen what are we doing to uh, solve that yeah and i think a lot of the times is we i say that word again a lot of the times we see sometimes that the coach cannot see quick enough or cannot see the subtleties or some of the uh, techniques that the athlete's doing. And then they, they get bored. They don't get coached and they want more. They want more because they've, they've plateaued. But our, our eye has to keep up. We have to get a sharper eye. And I think that's why those, those level two courses and the coach development program and all the course, CrossFit preferred courses, you know, from weightlifting to rowing and, gymnastics like that's why they're so great because it, it it elevates your bar to what the to things that we're missing and dealing and with I, those athletes and i think the way to get there is kind of where we started with this which is the simplicity of it yeah you know it, i think we talked about it on a couple podcasts ago about this and you just mentioned it just now the speed at which you see things and i I don't know how you feel, but the only way to see things really quickly is to not have to allocate mental resources to other things. Meaning like, I don't need to think about what is going to happen next. I don't need to think about what are the points performance of the air squat or what are the faults of the air squat? I know those and I know I'm like the back of my hand and a good coach should. That allows me to focus my eyes because if I was thinking about, I think about it in, in, in on days when I'm coaching, when I'm just distracted by other things, like forget like, whatever I don't see as well because my like I have mental resources allocated to to other things other than 
is the depth of that dip drive and the push press too much? Like, is that why they're coming forward or do they need to turn their toes out to get their knees out of the way? Like if you have to be thinking about all of those things versus just seeing it and be able to react, I think that's where the struggle is, which means most people just need to put in more time into the mm -hmm. basics, which is just like, okay, what should this movement look like? How is it executed mm -hmm. correctly? What is the speed and timing? You know, how should that look and all of that stuff? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. where you begin to see fast. Yeah, and, and also, if we peel back to teaching, there's a, there's a protocol that you can follow. It, it's, yeah. it might seem contrived, but, but it is when you're learning. It, it does feel a little fake and a little contrived, and, it, and it's demo the movement. Hey, this is the push press. This is what it looks like. Do the full movement, okay? The call will be go. You're going to focus on X, let's say, keeping the heels down. I'm going to look for that. And then I'll say reset. So ready, go. I'm going to look at your heels and reset. Ready, go. And just having this protocol of do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And just keep repeating that for the athletes in the class. It's like when you learn to drive. What do you do? You, you look in your mirror, right? You see that there's no cars. You signal. You look in your mirror again. And then you make the turn. And then you, your blinker goes off. And now, now what happens when you're driving? It's like, because you did it so many times the right way with a protocol that now it becomes second nature. And you can start to think about those other things you just talked about. The, why is this happening? Blah, 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 blah. But I think that we don't spend enough time just practicing a simple template um, before we start to try other things, maybe. And that's why we might miss things too. Yeah, I know. I agree because the, like, like you said, like the protocol is important, but the, but to, you have to practice the protocol. Like you said, like it, it, simply having the protocol is not enough. I'm sure you've seen it at a level two where, uh, on a countless occasions where I've given the protocol to somebody and simply not having the ability to follow the protocol is what gets them in trouble or the discipline right. to follow the protocol. And then there's like, they're, they're two reps in and they've already abandoned the protocol. I'm like, no, 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 stay, go back, start it over. Like we're going to practice this by the numbers and that's how you get fast at that stuff. Right, right. Sorry. I just got to run out real quick. No, you're good. No, I agree. I think that, and, and the protocol is very stylistic. It's what's going to work for you. What are you going to remember? Is it effective? And then just stick to that. And yeah. then you change your protocols as your skill set increases. Uh, and there's a lot of um, resources out there that you can go to to find the right protocol for you. Um, but it's so simple. Demo the movement. Tell them what the command's going to be. Tell them what the focus is. Then show them how it all looks. And then you're, you're off. It's, yeah, it's simple. As we said this at the summit, you know, it's simple, but simple isn't easy. And we'd yeah. be, we'd be a miss to, to just tell out the community that this stuff's easy. It's not simple. No, it's when people not do easy. things. Yeah. Definitely no, but not. like if we were going to break that down and you guys were going to leave with something, it's like, you know, basically tell them or teach them, show them and then coach them. And just go through that template as many, as many times as possible for everything, mm -hmm. every piece of mm -hmm. aggression, for every movement, for every warm up piece, tell them, show them, coach them, and then do it that, that way over and over. Um, yeah. You just, you know, Hey, I'm going to look for, I'm going to look at your leg. I'm going to look for straight legs. Yep. When I say go, can you straighten your legs? And that's really hard to do when you're doing a push jerk. 
Yeah. But if you say it, they're going to think about it. And then you're going to look for it. Yeah, they're going to try. You're going to look for it. And if you see any bending in the legs, then you just give that, you know, we say the level two, give that body part some direction. Templates, protocols. Temples, templates, protocols, practice, temples, um, you know, simple is not easy. Try to try to work your way towards mastery. Um, and, and you're never done. And I think those are things, those are like big concepts, but I think they're, you could, you could dwindle those concepts down to like very, very simple actions. And I think that's where people miss the mark. And it, going back to like the, the, the speech that Nicole gave, like, that's what we need to do as coaches. We need to understand that like these really big ideas are really actually executed at the most simple pieces of what it is that we do. Uh, and that's how mm-hmm. we get better. And that's how we, you know, position ourselves as professionals long-term. That's how, you know, CrossFit continues to get better. That's how we continue to get better. That's how our clients continue to get better. And, you know, it's by doing the little things, doing the basics, doing them really, really well and avoiding the novice's curse essentially as a coach. Yeah. And I think it's important to give respect or give attention to or acknowledge, sorry, where you are as a coach in outside of the gym are you a are you an owner are you a full-time coach there like that's the only job you do or are you a part-time coach because i think that our affiliates do a really great job I, i think you know they get asked to coach a class they go to the level one they love it they do the best they can and i think it's really important that we acknowledge that and i also think when you have a part-time trainer that we have to be realistic about how much time you can give to being better as a coach and to not be so hard on yourselves that, you know, you guys are doing the best you can, but just have a little bit more preparation, whether it's five, 10, 15 minutes. Um, and, and that, that alone will elevate the level of your, your skill set. just a little bit every day, small step, small wins. But if you are the head, the owner, the head coach, the full-time staff member, the expectation of you is much greater because that is your thing and you can spend dedicated time to it. And um, hopefully this podcast and all the others will help provide you with some information on how to do that. But just know where you are and we think you're great. So just keep going. Cool. Any last thing? Carry on. Any last thing for the listeners before we get out of here? Um, Just that I think that you and Jason, baby Jay, are doing a really great thing with this podcast and you're pulling from people from all kinds of walks of life and it has a lot of value. And I think the best thing that the community can do is continue to reach out to both you guys and ask uh, and tell you what they want, because if they tell you what they want, you'll find that right person and you'll bring them on. And that's how we can continue to share best practices and, and uh, increase our knowledge. Uh, But if the community is quiet we don't know what they want. It's like mm-hmm. the, the summit, right? We, we asked the trainers, what do you want? They told us what they wanted. We created drills around that. And then it added value outside of that. It's just assumptions. So I think that um, we should speak up and we should tell the people that have a voice, what, what we want so that we can get to a better results. And, and yeah, that's that, really it. That I could not agree with more. And that was one of the, that was one of the major pillars of, when we started the podcast that one of the reasons we wanted to do it was because we have access. 
like people like Denise, like Austin, like James, like some of the best coaches in the world, like we have access to them. So if you guys want something, like let us know. And what's really cool is like that's already starting to happen. We, we have previous guests or other people who are sending us other people, like the number of people that we have lined up here in the next couple of weeks that we're trying to get on is it's not a short list. And some of these are like really, really smart people that we were like, we have the opportunity to talk to you. So I'm looking forward to it. But if you guys have people that you want us to talk to you, if you have topics you want us to discuss, um, send them over. We love nothing more than to deep dive into these things and provide value to you guys. So uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with Denise more on that. So. You should, you should have somebody in a, you know, an affiliate owner or a head trainer or a part-time coach uh, from an affiliate come on the show and do like a live Q and A, because I think what happens is we're out here and we're giving information and we're giving these, some of the, these like hypotheticals, we don't know the scenario and we're trying to help. Mm -hmm. But if you brought someone on that was like, you know, living it and really struggling with certain things, the questions that would come from the questions, you would get probably a large part of the community being like, yes, thank you for asking that. That is exactly what I was feeling in that moment. And yep. now this, he or she is asking Jason and this is exactly what I want. So I, I, that, that'd be pretty cool. We'll try to dial that up. We'll probably, we'll try to bring somebody on and do like a, we'll probably have to do like a Facebook live so that people can interact on there uh, mm. and do it there. But that would be like a really cool thing to do there. So we'll do it. We will dial it up and make it happen. Mm -hmm. DT, as always, it's a pleasure. JF, um, Jay, I have a question for you real quick. Go ahead. Are you trying to grow a man bun? Uh, I'm not trying to grow a man bun. I kind of do, do have a man bun. Kind you have of. one right now. No, I my hair is not up. So full disclosure, I did get some comments in one of the Instagram posts lately about my hair length, and I'm I'm not really sure how I feel about it. So anybody thinks I'm feeling cool about this long hair, I'm very indifferent about it. I don't know yet. I, well, I like it. It's hard for me to give you compliments, but I, I like it. I don't understand why. There's a lot good going on over here. <laughs> there's a lot a lot good going on. <laughs> there's a lot good. There's a lot of good. There's going a lot on good here. going on. That's right. All right. Um, well, awesome. Th thank you, ma'am. Uh, if you guys need to hit up DT again, uh, is it, I forget, what's your Instagram? D Denise seven, something it's, seven. I forgot. It was close. Den, it's it's Den, Den Thomas seven, seven. Yeah. And then DT lesson plans, hit her up. And always, if you guys got questions, hit us up and we will see you next time. All right. Thanks Jay. Yep. See ya. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, one more time, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send us any feedback you have to at Best Hour of Their Day on Instagram and Best Hour of Their Day at gmail.com if you want to shoot us an email. We appreciate you. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your day.